Good morning. My name is Michael Mattis, and I pastor Saltbox Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. But I do want to pause for a minute and just look into the camera and extend a warm welcome to anyone who is tuning in on any platform, uh, video or audio, wherever you gather, wherever you're seeing this. And I would also say to you, if, if these messages are helpful to you, it'd be helpful to us if you would like them, share them, review them. We are actually in process of wanting to um, spread and reach as many people as we can with the very love and the gospel of Christ Jesus. So uh, welcome. We're in the middle of a series that we've called Beautiful Attitudes. That's actually off of a Billy Graham quote. He called the Beatitudes of Jesus the Beautiful Attitudes. And uh, for me, um, the Beatitudes have always been uh, rather intimidating because it feels like the standard is um, impossibly high, and it is, and it's only by sort of coming and going, Lord Jesus, I, I can't, will you do it in me and through me that we can access these. So it's been uh, fascinating even in my own sort of journey and walk with the Lord um, to study these. So today, uh, this morning, we're actually in Matthew 5, verse 6, um, and then I'm going to flip over and read Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Um, so you, you may want to pull out a paper Bible, even a notebook. Um, if you're like me, I love to actually write down dates and little notes all over my paper Bible. Nothing wrong with a phone and scrolling, but, you know, kind of the old school way here is um, can be helpful as you seek to really walk with the Lord. So let's read uh, Matthew 5 uh, in verse 6. Here's what Jesus is saying. Now, just a quick reminder, Jesus is sitting, and you could go back and look at, listen to some of our previous messages, but Jesus is sitting on the very northernmost part of the Sea of Galilee in a hot, arid, Palestinian sort of climate, um, and there's a group that is gathered sort of before him, and he is speaking to them in a natural stone amphitheater with probably a gentle wind that blows in the afternoon up off the Sea of Galilee onto all of his hearers, and he is seated, and he is teaching them. And this is what he says in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is actually probably one of the most intimidating Beatitudes to me uh, because it's actually dealing with us at a very um, motive level. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then let's flip over. We're going to look at Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Um, and Jesus is actually um, answering a question here, and he, he answers it in a beautiful way, but this is what he says in verse 37. Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says in verse 40, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. And you can really take all the Ten Commandments and you can condense them down into those two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Holy Spirit, as we preach the word today, would you be pleased and glorified by what is said and what is shared? Would you fall afresh on us as we study together? Would you change us? Would you form us? And would you fill us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So you all would know this. We all sort of know this, but I want to call our attention to something. Um, words uh, don't exist in isolation. In, in other words, um, they exist uh, against the backdrop of a person's experience and even a person's thought. 
So any word that's said or, or verbalized uh, becomes somewhat conditioned by the one who speaks it. And I think the Beatitudes are particularly um, difficult to understand because you're in a um, sort of this Palestinian um, context, you're in a certain geographical context, you're in a, a certain arid climate context. And, you know, very few of us um, here in Western America would understand what it actually means to be hungry or what it means to be thirsty. And so immediately you look here and you go, okay, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So let's, let's put this context or, or put this, uh, his statement, the statement of Jesus here in context. Um, a, a Palestinian working, um, let's just take a man, um, but a Palestinian working man um, would have um, earned a wage that put him and his family constantly on the brink of starvation. So, so starvation, so actual hunger. Um, you know, my parents used to joke with me when I was a kid because I'd come in and I was always like, I'm starving, you know. Um, I, can't, I can't wait to eat. And, and, but yet what this is actually talking about, the, the Palestinian and the Israelites and all who were gathered around Jesus when he taught, when he used the word hunger, their context would actually uh, meant um, the borderline of real starvation. So hunger means something entirely different um, in, in that context than it, than it does or would here. Now, let's even talk about thirst a second. This is an arid, dry um, place. Uh, in fact, Abby and I were traveling with our kids, I think it was a year ago, but we went through the Mojave Desert. We went through uh, Death Valley National Park, and it was actually 120 degrees one day. In fact, we couldn't go because our, our youngest, Amelia, was so little that she couldn't literally drink enough to stay hydrated. It was dangerous for her. So uh, literally, as you look at this Palestinian sort of landscape, this, this country where Jesus is, is teaching in, um, it, it is in this sort of dry and, and arid place. So thirst and dehydration means something totally different than what it means uh, here in Western America. In fact, we tend to think of water as something you go to the faucet and you turn the faucet or lift the handle and out comes beautiful, clear water. We can take showers. In fact, many of us in the West take such long showers and go through gobs of hot water or, or water nonetheless. But there was nothing like that in Israel at this time. So in, in fact, one of the things that, that people would do in this day and age is they would travel with what was called probably a, a burnus. But a burnus was like a big cape that they could put on and then it had a hood usually light colored, beige or white. And oftentimes when a traveler was traveling, a big sandstorm would come up and they would actually have to huddle uh, sort of down, probably turning their back to the wind, whichever way it was coming from. And they'd pull this big hood over their head and they'd wrap themselves in this cape and the sand would just blow on them and just drive like a sandblasting into them uh, until it's like literally filling their nostrils. Um, they're breathing it in their mouth. It's down in their esophagus. And literally it's, it's I thirst, I I am thirsty. I am on the brink of starvation. So, so literally when Jesus says here, um, blessed are those who hunger and, and blessed are those who thirst, he's talking to a group of people who actually know what it means to be hungry. 
and who actually know what it means to be thirsty. I'm not talking about skipping a meal. I'm talking about being consistently on the brink of hunger and starvation for years and years and years of your life, or being on uh, the, the brink of water scarcity for years and years. So, so take a normal family in Israel at this time. You know, they could have gone to the Sea of Galilee and gotten water, and if you held, uh, I'm gonna have a water bottle here, but if you held water from the Sea of Galilee up to the light, it, it wouldn't be even clear. It would have been full of, sediment and things. If, if they went to the Jordan River and got water, the same would be true. I actually brought a little thing of water back from the Jordan River last time I was in Israel. And you can't barely see through it. You know, we take this, this totally for granted in the West, what, what water sort of means. But, you know, I actually was digging through the Old Testament. I looked at Psalm 63.1, and David's writing it actually from the desert. And he says, I thirst for you, O God in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So, so this is the context. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, he's talking about a desperation where you're going, I, literally, if I don't get water, I'm gonna die. If I don't have food, I'm going to starve. And as I was sort of putting this together, I began to reflect back on my own life. And there's only been a couple of times um, where I would even say I was hungry. Um, for, for more than a few meals, but there's, only, there's, there's probably a few more times where I've been thirsty. And uh, I was thinking, I, at one point I was actually um, rock climbing in Zion National Park, which is out in uh, Utah, southern part of, of Utah. And it's arid and it was really dry. It's in the middle of a desert and I'm climbing and I had a buddy following up after me and something happened. It wasn't an accident, but we made a few miscalculations and I got stuck on the wall for four or five hours just baking in the sun. And, and in those four or five hours out there, you, you probably need to drink, drink about a gallon, gallon and a half of water a day. And I came down dehydrated, but still it was just four or five hours. It, it, it wasn't like a, a life of living on the brink of dehydration. I was also thinking I, I drove safari trucks in the year, I think it was 2000 or 2001, but in Botswana, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. And I, we'd take groups of college kids into the bush and I'd set up camp with them. And, and we were actually staying in villages where there was no well. And at times we were even helping to facilitate the drilling of some wells or the building of a school or, or a church. But it was fascinating to even look at people who literally had to carry, um, sometimes a, a jerry can is what they would call it, but they would have to walk down to a river and get water and then bring it back, sometimes traveling a mile. So, so water scarcity in this context is, is such a real thing and, and, and something that we're just not even uh, used to even thinking about. Uh, so by, by trade, um, I'm a landscaper. So here in Wilmington, where we live, uh, in the summertime, it can be 95, 100 degrees, and we can be like 85, 90% humidity. And in the summer, um, I'll drink a mm, gallon and a half of water. That's about 12 pounds of water, six quarts. Um, and, and so the, the, but have I experienced actual, consistent, devastating thirst? Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. So my first point this morning is that the hunger and the thirst of this beatitude is the hunger of a starving person and is the thirst of someone who is literally, I'm gonna die if I don't drink. I'm gonna die of, of dehydration if I don't get water. 
So as you look here too, you, you would go, okay, what is righteousness? And how then, how then can we hunger at that level or, or be thirsty at that level for righteousness? And righteousness here in, in the Greek is actually, it's just the divine righteousness of God. It probably signifies two things. Uh, number one, the presence of God. And then number two, the, the purpose of God. And, you know, as I was, I'm sort of reflecting on the American church, the condition even in which we find ourselves, and I was actually thinking, you know, the problem at this moment in this, this beautiful American church and, and even the global church, let's look at the American church for a minute, is, is not uh, pain, in my opinion. The problem in the American church is actually pleasure. And here's what I mean by that. Our lives are so comfortable, our lives are so pleasure-filled, um, our lives are so sort of me-centric and, and self-centered um, that we, we actually suffer from the malady of not wanting. In other words, we have no idea what it means to be hungry. We have no idea what it means to actually thirst. So when Jesus says something like this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we don't even have a context of what he is even talking about. There's this uh, girl down in Atlanta, and she's born and I think has grown up there. And it's interesting to me because uh, she suffers from a disease where her central nervous system feels no pain. So uh, literally as a baby, I was just reading about this, um, she would bite um, chunks of her skin off on the side of her hands because she couldn't feel anything. The pain sensors in her central nervous system um, are gone. I went on to read that there was one point where she chewed her bottom lip so ferociously and for so long that it actually swelled up and covered up her top lip and her nose. Like, like she has no pain sensors um, at all. So, so she, uh, she is literally has to be followed by people if she goes and plays soccer, or she goes for a walk, or if she goes out and runs. She has to be followed by people because she has no ability to know. Has she broken a leg? Has she twisted an ankle? Has she cut herself? She feels no pain. There was even one story they shared that she was trying to open a bottle of ketchup with her teeth um, as a, I don't know exactly how old she was, but she was young and had baby teeth, and she actually ripped her front two teeth out trying to open the bottle of ketchup. Now, here's the point. I realize this is a little bit uh, graphic, but if there's a problem with the American church is that we're so, soci so satiated with pleasure that we feel no pain. We're not hungry, we're not thirsty. Uh, we're not hungry for God's presence, we're not thirsty for God's presence. We're, we're more hungry and thirsty for an experience or a place that makes us sort of feel good or think good or tickles our imagination or our hearing or is cool. But in terms of how many Christians do you really know that actual have um, deep hunger for God, it, it's, it's rare, it's rare in our day and it's rare uh, where we, I think, live. So. You know, I'd even challenge us by saying, uh, and this is something that Tozer actually wrote, but he would actually say that each of us has as much of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives as we want. Each of us has the, as much of the presence of Jesus in our lives as we desire. And, and you might even look back at me sitting in your living room, wherever you're consuming this, and, and you might go, Michael, I don't know that I have any of the presence of God in my life. And I would look back and say, how hungry are you? How thirsty are you? 
You know, in, in many ways, this is the scariest beatitude to me because it deals with such deep heart motives. In other words, why do I do what I do? What, what drives me? Am I really hungry and thirsty for God? Or is this just kind of something, the motions that I go through? Or, or we live down in the South in, in uh, the United States where uh, Christianity can even be cultural. In other words, we go to church because our parents did. We think we're actually a believer and our life's been surrendered to Christ Jesus because we're nice to somebody or because we take our cart back. And, instead of an actual life that is lived where you are chosen and you choose not only once but daily to be hungry for the presence of God. So I think this, this first thing that I'm sort of um, saying to you or to us is the hunger and thirst of this beatitude re- refers to the hunger of a starving person, the thirst of one who must have God or they will die. I think the other thing that's amazing to me here is um, God actually begins uh, to deal with what we truly desire here. So it it actually appears, um, and the second thing I would say under this is such a scary beatitude, is it's actually an encouraging beatitude because it begins to look like God is not evaluating our lives solely on what we've done or how we've done it. No, no, he, he first evaluates our lives on are we surrendered to King Jesus, but then it appears from this that he is actually looking people, looking for people who, not people that have attained, not people that don't have failure in their lives, but people who are hungry for more of God, who are hungry for the goodness of God, who are hungry for the presence of God, and he's actually counting that as righteousness. In other words, you don't have to fully attain, and in this life, there's this uh, tension that we live in between the now and the not yet of the kingdom. So we are never going to be fully filled in this life. The idea, in fact, is that we continue to hunger and thirst after God all of our life until he comes back and we enter paradise with him at the end. So I think the second thing that I would say is God is actually saying here, Jesus is saying here, that he blesses the person who in spite of failure is still grasping for the highest presence and goodness of God. I mean, that is what he's after. That is what it means to hunger with the hunger of a starving man or woman. That is what it means to thirst with the thirst of someone who's gonna die of dehydration. It's literally, I am grasping, even if I don't attain, even if I fall short, even if I trip, even if I mess up, I'm actually grasping and reaching for the goodness of God. I'm grasping for the presence of God. And I think my third point this morning is that God is looking for the person who desires um, all of the righteousness. God is looking for the person who desires all of Jesus. God is looking for the whole, the person who desires all of the Holy Spirit. So let me explain it to you, I think, like this. This is what just leapt off the page at me as I began to study this. But in, in Greek, so the Bible, uh, Matthew here, was written in Greek, but you gotta understand that the background of, of the Greek authorship was the Hebrew language and, and even the, the Arabic language. And so, so the Greek here um, is in the genitive case. Now, I'm not going to go too deep here, but I want to just scratch the surface because it's very important. So the genitive case uh, literally means um, I'm, I'm hungry for a piece of bread or I'm hungry for a glass of water. I'm hungry for some water. I'm hungry for some 
bread. That, that's the way most um, people would have spoken is in this sort of genitive case. But the way this one is actually written, it's in the accusative case. And what the accusative case actually means is it's not that I thirst a little bit. No, no, it's I thirst for the whole pitcher. I, I thirst for the whole um, jug. I, I thirst for the whole water container. And, and so what you actually begin to get here is someone who is actually uh, hard after, pressing into the presence and power of God. Hard after. No, no, I, I don't just want a, a sip. I don't, don't just want a cup. I want to actually take the whole pitcher because that's the level at which I thirst. So there's, there's actually what Jesus is literally saying here is, listen, the the ones who will be uh, filled are actually the ones who, who are not after a little bit of God. And, and if I was even uh, authentic or, or even vulnerable with my own life, there's parts where I think I just want a little bit of God. And as I've grown and as I mature, I find myself wanting more of him and asking for more of his presence in my life to the point where I'm not satisfied with a little bit anymore. I want the whole thing. I want the entirety of God, everything of him, everything of his presence and purpose and power in my life that is accessible. So literally you have here, he's saying not just someone who wants a little bit, he's someone who wants the whole person of Jesus, the whole person of the Holy Spirit. And so I think I'd ask you this morning, as you look at your own life, as you evaluate even your journey, how hungry are you? How thirsty are you for the presence of God, for the purpose of God? Or has it just sort of gotten humdrum? Has it gotten, uh, I don't really need God. I don't need his presence. I don't need his purpose. See, this is one of the things that you find me encouraging you to do consistently, but is to get into a one-year Bible. Why? Because there's some Old Testament, there's some New Testament, there's a Psalm, there's a Proverb. And that's not meant to be like a, a performance thing where you get under it and you go, man, if I don't read it all every day, I'm, I'm not doing well. No, no, no. If you have three minutes, great, read the Psalm. If you have one minute, great, read the Proverb. If you have 10 minutes, read the New Testament, the Psalm and the Proverb. If you have 15 or 18, then read the Old Testament portion too. But here's the point is by opening the word of God and by letting the Holy Spirit um, enliven you, by reading it, by getting it inside of you, you are actually eating from the bread of God. You're you are letting the Lord Jesus fill you. And then I often encourage us to be in a five-year journal because it's in that time and space where you can begin to even look at your own life, your shortcomings, what's happening, what the Lord's speaking to you, trends, what you're reading. I mean, I'm always journaling. And in my, in my current journal, um, I'm looking at the last four years. So I'm at the end of my five-year journal. But that's why I'm literally always encouraging you to foster worship alone. Put worship on in your car. It's not that other types of music is wrong or bad. No, no. It's just... When you foster worship between you and God, when you foster that intimate relationship, when you learn to really uh, sit at his feet, when you learn to open your Bible up and feed even yourself, let him feed you directly, when you fill out or write in a five-year journal, it can actually begin to change you. You know, if I, if I even opened up another door uh, on me personally, I would actually struggle not to equate um, hungering and thirsting with working. So in other words, I was thinking about Mary and Martha as I, as I ended this. And if you've not read that, you could flip over and read it. But Jesus is literally getting ready to enter Jerusalem 
he's getting ready to be crucified, and he goes to the house of Mary and Martha. And Martha is this wonderful lady, and she's running around everywhere. She's scurrying about, and she's trying to prepare a big meal, and she wants to love on Jesus, and she wants to serve Jesus, and She's making this enormous racket, I think. And then you have Mary, and Martha's a little bit upset with Mary because Mary's not doing a thing. Rather, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She has embraced um, not working for, uh, maybe working out her salvation. She is uh, literally engaging with this Jesus, and she is being known by him, and she is knowing him. She is actually demonstrating that she is hungry for that relationship. She is thirsty for the presence of God. And I I think if we authentically looked at our own lives, we would actually look at them and we go, uh, how thirsty are you? Because it's indicative, can you spend and do you spend time sitting at the presence of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, in your word, in prayer, in worship, because those things are all indicative that you're hungry. Listen to me, church. If you're not hungry, you're missing it. If you don't thirst for the presence of God, you're missing it. If you're not passionate to know him and be known by him, you're missing it. This is not a dead religion. No, no, this is a relationship that is alive and viable. And he is offering you not just a little bit, but the entirety, the whole thing. Blessed is him who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he will be filled. As I close this morning, I want you to take a look at your own life, at your own experience, and authentically ask the Holy Spirit to sift your heart and go, how hungry am I really? Not for another service or gathering or not even to look a certain way or to experience or feel a certain way or a conference. All those are good things, but I mean to truly encounter the person of Jesus. Are you hungry for him? Are you thirsty for him? If you're listening to me today and you've never given your life to this Jesus, it's very simple. It's a supernatural transaction, but it's very simple. And if you want to do that today, if you've never done that, I'd say don't wait. Do it today. Pray with me. And you can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have fallen short of the mark. Lord, I recognize that I don't measure up to your standard. And Father, I come to you acknowledging that Christ Jesus was God incarnate, fully God and fully man, and he walked on the earth. He went to a cross and died for my sin. He paid the ultimate price. And I would ask you, Lord Jesus, now, because you rose from that grave, you beat death and you beat hell, to come into my heart, to live there, to dwell within me, to fill me, and then to walk with me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a number on your screen. There's even an email address. But if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, if you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus for the first time in an authentic way, would you reach out to us? Because we'd love to get a Bible in your hands. We'd love to get you plugged into a great church. We'd love to get you baptized in water. And we'd love to pray that you would be filled with his most holy spirit. 
Now, for Christians who are watching, for those of you who know God, for those of you who've walked with him, and I think there's greater risk for those of us who've walked with him for greater periods of time, that we lose our hunger, that we uh, lose our thirst, and that we become satiated with our own sort of pleasure and the humdrum of the American existence. And I wanna actually call you as a church, as Stacy closes in this final song, to call us as a church, call anyone who's listening to not only evaluate, but potentially even repent. That's just a Bible word for turn or ask God's forgiveness. Turn back to him and go, Lord, would you make me hungry again? And would you make me thirsty again? Because you say that in that space, I will be filled. As we close today, here's what I want you to know. This God, this Jesus, this Holy Spirit, this creator will fill you if you're hungry and he will fill you if you are thirsty. As you go from here, go with the revelation that it's his heart to fill you, not not just a little bit, but to fill you full, to overflow, that he wants to walk with you, to bless you and to keep you. We'll be here again next week at 10 o'clock. And my prayer is that you would sense his presence and know his gaze in the days that follow.